0: This morning, we're going to talk about freedom. And as people and as individuals, we work pretty hard at attaining all sorts of freedoms in this life. Sometimes we buy larger houses or bigger properties and put up fences to kind of find freedom from neighbors, maybe. Sometimes we want room to roam, right? So we like to find freedom there. We want freedom to bear arms, Right, that's a constitutional right that we have—is to bear arms. That's a freedom. We want—we want the freedom to travel. So we love the ability to go places or to be able to, you know, drive off somewhere or go go travel and find new places. Uh, this this week, I, I read that over a million people have lost their lives fighting for the freedoms that we have today. So over throughout the course of our it's a pretty young country 1.1 or 1.2 people servicemen and women have lost their lives for the freedoms that we have today and if you ask most people what they want from their jobs or at the end of their professional lives they may say something like i just want financial freedom i want freedom from debt or freedom from uh, bills that kind of that kind of thing and the reality is, is that we spend a whole lot of our time and energy on physical freedom, or we spend a lot of time and energy on financial freedom. We spend little effort on really the most important sort of freedom that I think exists, and that's spiritual freedom. Spiritual freedom is freedom from a life enslaved to sin, freedom from guilt, or freedom from shame of your past, freedom from trying to win approval from God, freedom from fear, freedom from feeling hopeless, and freedom from the trappings of the enemy. Well, that sounds really good. And we would say, yes, I want that. I want spiritual freedom. Sometimes I think we're not sure how to get there. Sometimes it's like this far-off mirage sometimes that we see a little glimmer of it. There it is. And then it's gone. This morning, I want to take a look at a passage that Paul wrote to the church in 2 Corinthians, where Paul says spiritual freedom is possible. If you have your Bibles with you, 2 Corinthians 3, 12 through 18. Again, 2 Corinthians 3, 12 through 18. Let me read that for us this morning. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day, the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So the audience that Paul had in mind in his letter here were the religious, religious Jews. And so there were those in Paul's day that wanted to claim that you could find God through religious activity, through doing the right thing, saying the right thing, And just like today, that same sort of religiosity can sneak into our church walls. Sometimes the church can be oriented around doing again, doing the right things and saying the right things. But Paul, in his letter, says he wanted to stress this. He says, as good as the law is, the law was for the people's benefit, for the, he gave it to us. As good as it is, how much better? Are the works of Jesus, is what Paul wants us to know. The work of Jesus on the cross and the spiritual freedom we have available through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. So that's what Paul is telling the church. And the first highlight I want us to be thinking about from this passage is this Religion can only go so far because religion is incomplete. And Paul talks about the place of a veil twice. In this passage, look at verse 13 and 15. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face before the Israelites. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. So Paul wants the church to know that there were those who were looking for the law, they were looking for religion to earn God's approval. And they're sure to be disappointed, is what Paul says. He says, there are those looking to win the approval of God and man to earn their way into God's favor. And ultimately, they're going to be disappointed. So we have this image of a veil as used by Paul to signify those that were hearing from the Lord. So if you recall back in, in Exodus chapter 34, if you remember the story, Moses came down from Sinai and he had met with the Lord and his face was immediately radiant. You guys remember that story? Yeah, so Moses' face was, was radiant. In some sort of supernatural way, Moses met with the Lord and it was a reminder to the people of the glory of God. His God's radiance was reflected through Moses' face. And Moses wore this veil so that the Israelites, you know, the people he was leading, would not see the fading glory of Moses's face. So as long as his face was radiant, he assumed the people would receive him as God's appointed messenger. And if the glory faded, Moses assumed the people were not going to receive him and re- reject him. So, in, in a similar way, as I read this passage, I look at this and and. The Old Testament, the Old Testament laws were never to provide any sort of lasting radiance. They were never designed and intended to provide any sort of lasting glory. You know, God's law is good, acts as a guardrail for us, right, as we as we worship Jesus. You know, Jesus Himself says, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to actually fulfill them. So God's law keeps us. In line, so to speak, but just like Moses' face, the law is fading. The law was never designed to to save. Because we can never be good enough, we can never do enough, we can never say enough to earn God's approval, right? God loves us anyway, regardless. So again, the law was never to, designed to provide salvation. That's why God sent Jesus Christ. He is the only one and means to salvation. Religion, same thing, doesn't satisfy because religious activity is fading. And this is what Paul is reminding the church of. And I think in in today's world, I think this idea of religiosity sometimes can still sneak into the church walls. Sometimes I think that we like rules because they kind of exist in the box, right? Just tell me what to do, tell me what to say, here's my checklist to kind of helps me understand if I'm doing and saying the right things because I think sometimes we want to know what's expected of us, right? Again, I'm not bashing the Old Testament or bashing the Ten Commandments. That's not, that's, that's not at all. They're as relevant today as, as ever, right? So, but what I'm saying is sometimes I think within the church walls we kind of like our to-do lists and our checkbox and our checklist. We want to know that we measure up. Are we doing the right thing? Are we saying the right thing? Are we looking the right way? If you recall the movie uh, Shawshank Redemption, Redemption. sometimes I have to feel like I have to um, say this when I recommend movies. Everybody has a little different idea of what's appropriate what's inappropriate. So I've recommended movies before that I thought were pretty good, like, I ah, think they're pretty good, but you forget about something inappropriate that was in them. So I'm just mentioning the movie. I'm not saying it's good or bad. But... A movie I don't recall enjoying from years ago was Shawshank Redemption. I'm sure you, some of you have seen that movie. Um, came out you know 20 plus years ago. Had Tim Tim Robbins. He's a um, unwrongly convicted prisoner in in the 1940s. There's a, a fellow prisoner in Shawshank Redemption by the name of Brooks. Uh, Brooks spent most of his life in prison. And that to be a, a, an elderly man in prison, and he was finally paroled. So Brooks gets out, and he has this newfound freedom. And Brooks is not sure what to do with this newfound freedom. And Brooks, he gets a job at a grocery store and a supermarket. He has all these freedoms now that he's not sure what to do with. He cannot function, he finds, with all these newfound freedoms. Prison life made sense to Brooks. He spent... 50, 60 years sixty years—you know—kind of living in these in these walls and these confines, and he knew what was expected of him. He had a checklist, and he kind of lived everything in, inside this box. And he became what is called institutionalized, right? He had a hard time functioning outside the prison walls. And I wonder sometimes if, if Christians, if our churches, if we're not sure what the how to live outside with the freedoms that Jesus has given us. When we get accustomed to sometimes the do's and don'ts of Christianity and uh, saying the right things and doing the right things. And if we feel like I'm, if I'm saying the right things and doing the right things, that somehow God must be okay. You know, I, sometimes I wonder if we're not sure what to do with all the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes I wonder if we're not sure what to do with the Jesus who spent time with sinners and tax collectors. Jesus talked to prostitutes. Sometimes I get the idea that we're not sure what to do with the thief on the cross. You know, you have this man that lived in total opposition to God's law all of his life. At the very end of his life, he's on the cross and he he says, Jesus, Messiah, teacher, rabbi, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus says, Today you'll be with me in paradise. I think sometimes the church isn't sure what to do with that, Jesus, because that Jesus isn't regulated by religious conduct. That's why the teachers of the law had such a problem with Jesus. They were motivated by the do's and don'ts and the rights and wrongs. and They weren't sure what to do with Jesus. Because Jesus said, love God and love your neighbor. That's it. You know, the Pharisees, they had 613 laws. You're probably familiar with that. Most of those weren't what in Scripture, we're in the Bible. They created them. Do's and don'ts. Everything sat inside this box, inside these parameters. And so my point is, I guess my hope is for us is that we think about the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. When we might reflect on our hearts, is our worship. Do we worship Jesus? Or do we worship sometimes the we default to the do's and the don'ts? Saying the right things, doing the right things, religious activity. I think freedom is found in, in recognizing that, that God loves us unconditionally. Isn't that amazing? No matter what I've done, no matter what you do, God loves you. Jesus Christ has already paid for it on the cross. He says, I remember your sins no more. You're slated and wiped clean. You don't have to earn God's approval. There's nothing that we can do or say that will make God love us more or less. God loves us unconditionally. The second point I want us to look at from this passage this morning is this. We don't need to live in chains. God's people don't need to live in chains. Paul says in verse 17, he says, now the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Paul does not say If you find some freedom, doesn't say you may possibly find freedom. He states it right there where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It's factual. Freedom is possible. It exists. It's real. And again, freedom is a broad word, right? When I say the word freedom, I think it conjures up probably all kinds of different ideas and thoughts. But as I look at this passage, there are three types of freedoms that I believe that Paul is referring to. I want to look at those real briefly. <clears throat> we just talked about the freedom from the law as a means of salvation. We just talked about that. That's the first freedom that Paul is talking about. The law does not save. Religion does not save. But here's the second sort of freedom that I believe is Paul is talking about. He's talking about the freedom from Decay and corruption of our earthly bodies. Thankfully, our earthly bodies are not the end, right? I'm I'm so thankful for that. This is all we get. We're in big trouble. But but that is not the end. We'll have freedom from these decaying bodies. They're breaking down. Every day I'm getting a little older. My my friend John would say, this is as good as I'm ever going to get. That was kind of interesting. I was like, you're right. Because every day I'm getting a little older. So this is as good as we're ever going to get this moment right here. So thankfully, this is not the end. We'll be given new bodies in eternity. So there's freedom in knowing that eternal life awaits all those who know Jesus Christ. That is true freedom. And thirdly, I believe Paul was talking about freedom from the power and dominion of sin in our lives. So we know the bad news. The bad news is is that we have sinful broken bodies. We'll never be free of our sin nature this side of eternity. We're sinners, right? Sin will affect us, it will impact us, either our own sin or the sins of others or living in a broken, fallen world. Sin is a part of our reality this side of heaven. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's not some sin. It's not just a few of you sin. All have sinned. But the good news is this, is that we can choose against allowing sin to keep us in bondage or in chains. You see the big distinction there? we we'll never be free of sin. But we can choose out of, with the Holy Spirit's help, we don't have to live in bondage and chains to sin. Romans 6.14 Sin shall not be your master because you are not under the law, is what Paul says, but you're under grace. Again, never rid of our sin nature. We can be free of the shackles of destructive sin. doesn't have to control us. doesn't have to control our actions. doesn't have to control our thought lives. Sin shall not be our master. Unfortunately, many people, even the church walls, live as slaves to sin. And the first line of defense in finding freedom through Jesus Christ is breaking the bondage of sin and resisting the enemy. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's a powerful passage right there. I love it. The formula is right there for us. Resist. Put up a fight. Sometimes we don't fight. I think most of us, unfortunately, are or maybe not alert and maybe reactionary in the combating the enemy's work in our lives. There have been many seasons in my life where I've felt like a boxer almost, where I'm huddled in the corner just, just doing this right here, while I'm just getting kidney shots and kidney shots and just blow after blow after blow. Well, guess what? The Christian life doesn't have to do that way. I can resist the devil. And it says the devil will flee from you. I'm not powerless. You are not powerless. So instead of coming out of the corner fighting, sometimes I think we're just kind of resistant. We're way back on our heels, reeling from the blows of sin, blows of living a life in bondage to sin. We are not powerless. We have the Holy Spirit in fighting our battles for us. That's the sort of freedom that Paul paints. That's so what, he says, what God's, words, God's word says. Well, the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. freedom is elusive because we forget that we actually have the right tools. We have the tools in our tool belt. One of the correct tools is putting on our armor on a daily basis. Sometimes I've got to find my armor. Armor is maybe in the closet or it's somewhere else collecting dust. I've got my helmet of salvation my my breastplate my belt I've got my sword Ephesians 6 tells us the correct weapons to find freedom are both offensive and defensive weapons, we have the sword the sword of the spirit, God's word our primary offensive tool but as Paul looks at this imagery of a soldier the soldier's also got he's got a shield, right? a defensive weapon, right? To absorb those blows that come our way. And we can resist the enemy, resist the devil when he comes after us. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have all the right tools to find freedom. Freedom from bondage to sin. We just need to find them. We just need to use them. We just need to dust them off. Get them back out. Put them on. Every day. Put on your armor. The final point, the final point I want us to highlight is this: is that true change is actually God's job. True change is actually God's job. I want to look at verse eighteen again. I'm going to read that again for us. And. We all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. One of my most frequent daily prayers is that the Lord would make me into a new man. I want to be a new man. I want to be a changed man. I want to be transformed. I don't like what comes out of my mouth sometimes. I don't like some of the thoughts that I have. I don't like the attitudes that I have. Every day, I ask the Lord to make me into a new man. Transform me. I pray the same prayer for my family and my kids. That the Lord would transform them from the inside out make me look more like Jesus or make my family look more like Jesus. And the part that I think that is so easy to forget is that transformation is not our job. That's God's job. That is the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit changing our hearts so that, again, we look more like Jesus and less like the people that we see in the mirror. And unfortunately, I want to do it. Maybe you feel like you want to do it. I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to do more, and I'm going to use. It. Right? That's sometimes our default mechanism, right? I'll just do a little more. I'll just serve a little more. Good things. Good things. But ultimately, Christlike change is the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. That's God's job. That's not our job. As more we yield ourselves to Him, the more change that takes place. If we went back to verse 15, look at verse 15 again. Paul tells us, he reminds us that the law is a veil to the heart. In other words, heart change is not found in reading the law or simply religious activity. The law does not change our hearts. Our checklists don't change our hearts. The problem is that we too often try to change our behaviors, assuming our hearts will follow. Rather, changed actions flow from changed hearts. I was thinking about the Israelites this week in the desert, and, you know, God, He didn't punished the Israelites because they broke his commands. He punished them because their hearts were divided, right? God wanted their hearts. And in one minute they were faithful, and the next minute they were found to be off course, and they were stuck, and they were stiff-necked people, and assuming that God didn't have their best interests, they were creating a golden cap, worshiping pagan gods. They were um, complaining the entire time, right? So God increased their consequences over and over and over. You know, God desired the hearts of his people. He desired their undivided worship. He wanted their actions and their hearts, not just their actions. The greatest commandment, love God and love your neighbor, isn't simply about religious action, but it's centering our hearts. Where is God? Who is God? Who is he to me? Do I love him with all my heart, soul, mind, body? Seek his kingdom and all else will follow. God wants our hearts, not simply our actions. As we know, the Apostle Paul was, um, he was a strict follower of, of Jewish law, right? Before he met Jesus Christ, right? Hebrew of Hebrews, Jew, Jews of Jews. He knew there was no freedom in that. That's what Paul's writing about. He's saying there's no freedom in strictly following the law. Paul also says there is no guilt or condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul wrote that. He said there's no freedom in that either. But Paul wrote this. He said, for where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. If you're looking for freedom, it's found in Jesus Christ. It's found in a life and a heart being yielded to the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. You know, Paul spent five total years in prison or under house arrest. That doesn't sound like freedom, does it? You know, Paul spent much of his adult life really experiencing anything that anything but freedom when we think about freedom. There was no worldly freedom for for Paul. You know, Paul didn't serve himself. He didn't try to amass wealth or Paul didn't even really retire and go do what he wanted to do. You know, he traveled, obviously ministering to God's people, setting up churches, shepherding other churches. Along the way, Paul was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was left for dead. He was stoned. He was persecuted. Again, Paul was in prison. That doesn't sound like freedom to me. But Paul wasn't looking for worldly freedom. You know, what Paul is looking for, what he reminds us of, is that an, a freedom of an entirely different sort of spiritual freedom. You know, There's no simple, easy, you no know, five-step, painless plan to finding freedom in this life. There's no simple way to experience spiritual freedom requires lots of work. It's not easy. Fleeing from the devil, resisting him, putting on our armor every day, doing battle, coming out of the corner fighting. It's not easy stuff to do. Not simple. I want to do something a little bit different with a with couple minutes that we have here. I want to spend a couple minutes just in prayer and in reflection. I want us to talk to the Lord for a couple minutes. I want you to answer these two questions. Lord, help me find freedom from blank. I don't know what that is for you. Lord, help me find freedom. And the second thing I want you to think and reflect on and talk to the Lord about is what your life would look like if you found spiritual freedom what that would look like. I'm going to take just a couple minutes. I want you to talk to the Lord. You know, hopefully in, in talking to the Lord for a minute and, and allowing Him to bear your burdens, hopefully you recognize that freedom is possible. Freedom is God's intention for His people. That bondage and slavery to sin is not God's intention, not His design. So hopefully again that As you look at God's Word and as you talk with Him about what this freedom might look like, that you're convinced more than ever that freedom is possible. The Spirit of the Lord, is there is freedom. If it wasn't possible, God wouldn't promise it, right? It's It's right there, right before us. It's possible through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I want to encourage you, whatever that looks like to you, whatever you need to give to Jesus this week, or today, please do that. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, I just thank you again for your Word. God, we have freedom through relationship with your Son, Jesus Christ, and that God, He died on the cross. You sent your Son to die on the cross to take our sin, so we might live a life of freedom. Free from guilt, free from shame, free from our past. God, you took all of it. You paid for it. It's gone. Our slates have been wiped clean. As far as the east is from the west, you say, I remember your sins no more. So Lord, we thank you. There is freedom in your son Jesus Christ. We thank you for that. Lord, whatever chains, whatever things that need to break this week, God, whatever things we're holding on to, whatever we feel like just is, God, we've accepted some way of life or we've accepted a sin or accepted this is the way I am, God. I pray for supernatural work, again, to break those chains in our lives, God. There are chains in my life, Lord, that need to be broken. I ask for a fresh start, a new start right now, Lord. We ask that mighty things are done in your name. Help us to look more like your son, Jesus, each and every day, God. That's your hope. That's your desire. God, we give you today. We give you the rest of our worship. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stand.